please turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29, and we will be considering verses 25 through 29 this morning. In the past two weeks, we have considered what is to be sung in the worship of God by examining the command of Paul to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as well as by looking at the apostolic example, we saw that the Psalter is the only acceptable manual of praise for the New Testament church. We continue looking at the element at this element of worship today by considering what the Scriptures have to say concerning what ought to accompany the singing and the worship of God. So with that in mind, lend your attention now to the reading of God's Word from Second Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 25. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets, And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us ask his blessing upon it. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this word that you have given us. This word that makes the simple-hearted wise. This Word, which is perfect, and gives us instruction in everything that we do. Lord, we pray that You would bless this Word to us today. Let us receive it with gladness and with joy. And Lord, where reformation is needed, let us be... uh, open and willing and ready to reform our hearts and our lives and our practice according to the Word of God. Lord, we ask that the Word would go forth and not return void. Father, we ask that Your blessing would be upon the preacher this day. That he would preach not in the Uh, enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When taking up the doctrine of a cappella worship, we must look at it with the foundation of what has come previously. The question that we should ask ourselves is not whether or not I want there to be instruments in worship, but rather, has God commanded instruments to be used in worship? Some of you may already know this, but I'm somewhat of a musician. I play guitar and bass and banjo and mandolin and a few other instruments. I've always loved playing music. And even now there are times that I really miss it because I just don't have the time to be able to play as much as I used to. Several years ago, I was uh, part of the worship band at the church that I was a member at. And if that's the case, then why do I not now pick up a guitar and accompany our singing of psalms here at Westminster? Well, the simple answer to that is that even though I truly enjoyed playing music and being in that worship band, and even though the music at that church was really engaging and pleasant to the ear, none of that matters when it comes to what should be done in the worship of God. It doesn't matter if I liked playing music, or if I enjoyed the music that was played, what matters is whether or not the Lord has commanded that instruments are to be used in worship. Remember our guiding principle. Whatever has not been commanded by God to be done in worship is forbidden. Remember Deuteronomy 12.32. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. The answer to the question of whether or not the Bible commands instrumental music in worship is undeniably yes. Yes, the Bible commands instrumental music in worship. Now the question then must be, is this command that instruments are to be used in worship part of New Covenant worship? And as we will see, the answer to this is undeniably no. And so the theme that we'll consider this morning is that instruments were part of the ceremonial system and have no part 
in New Testament worship. And we'll consider this theme under three heads. First, instruments in the temple. Next, instruments in exile. And then lastly, instruments in the church. There is no one who will deny that instruments in the temple were an integral part of Old Covenant worship. But what's important to see when considering this is when and how these instruments were introduced into worship. If you take a look from Adam in the garden all the way to Moses, you'll see very clearly that there is no mention of instruments in connection to worship at all. In fact, we know that it is impossible for there to have been instrumental music in worship from the beginning, since it's not until Genesis 4 and with the lineage of Cain that instruments are even invented. Here we see that Jubal was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. This is seven generations after Adam. So for seven generations, there was not even the possibility that instruments could have been used in the worship of God. And we have no evidence that from that point until Moses that they were ever used either. And even when you get to Moses, the question of whether or not uh, instruments were used in worship is not a definitive yes. In fact, there's no evidence that they actually were used in worship. But the instruments that are mentioned are not used for worship, but for announcing and warning. We see this in Numbers 10, verses 1 to 10. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, and thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly, for the journeyings of the camps. And when they shall blow them, all the assembly shall assemble to get themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall blow but with one trumpet. Then the princes, which are the heads of the household of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. And when you blow an alarm, then the camp that lie on the east parts shall go forward. And when you blow an alarm a second time, the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow, but ye shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God. 
and ye shall be saved from before your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. These two trumpets, the only instruments that are mentioned here, are only used to announce the meeting of the leaders of Israel, to announce the beginning of the Sabbath, calling the people to come together, announcing the start of the sacrifices, and warning of war with the sounding as an alarm. But even if it were conceded that there is an aspect in which this is tied to worship, notice that only two silver trumpets are mentioned. And only the sons of Aaron were to blow them. And all of this was a command that was given by divine appointment. God regulated very specifically even the initial mention of instruments used by the people of God. But this is all that was seen throughout this period in which God's dwelling place was in the tabernacle. All you had were these two silver trumpets. The Southern Presbyterian pastor John L. Gerardo makes this point. The absence of instrumental music from the services of the tabernacle continued not only during the wanderings of the Israelites in the desert, but after their entrance into the promised land, throughout the protracted period of the judges, the reign of Saul, and part of David's. From Moses to David, at the very most of what could be argued in regards to instruments, there are two silver trumpets. And those two silver trumpets are only blown by the sons of Aaron. It's not until 1 Chronicles chapter 23 that we see mention of instruments used in worship. So when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel, and he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. And now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by the poles Man by man was thirty and eight thousand, of which twenty and four thousand were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord, and six thousand were officers and judges. Moreover, four thousand were porters, and four thousand praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. That's the first mention of instruments in worship. In our verse, uh, in verse 25 of our Second Chronicles passage, we see clearly 
that these instruments are brought into the worship of God because God Himself commanded it. And He set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps according to the commandment of David and Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by His prophets. The number of instruments used, their kind and their precise use, all of this was explicitly stipulated by David in response to the express command of God. The fact that new revelation was needed for the instruction or for the introduction of musical instruments into worship is further proof that for thousands of years from Adam until the latter part of David's reign true and acceptable worship was offered to God without the accompaniment of musical instruments there is no dispute whatsoever about musical instruments in the worship of the temple. It's plain to see. But what about the worship that's outside the temple? In order to see how worship was conducted outside of the temple, we, we must look at the worship of the synagogue. Did the people of God use instruments while they were in exile? Well, the answer to that is clearly no. No scholar even attempts to argue that musical instrument was part of synagogue worship. Psalm 137 verses 1 to 3 makes this very clear. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they carried us away captive, required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. As they were being led into exile, they hung up their harps in the willows. And yet, while they were in exile, they still sang the songs of Zion. What is it that was different about synagogue worship compared to temple worship? Why is it that when they went into exile, the priests hung their harps in the willows? Were there priests uh, in the synagogue that would have been authorized to play these instruments? Yes. But what was missing? What was missing and what is key to understand about the use of instruments in worship is that the sacrifices could not be done in the synagogues. 
the only place in which the Lord commanded the sacrifices to be made was in the temple. And that was only in Jerusalem. When the people of God were carried away into captivity, they were carried away from the temple and the sacrifices. And that is why they hung up their harps in the willows. The musical instruments were only played during the offering of the sacrifices. And this can be proven from our passage here in 2 Chronicles. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. It was at the precise time of this offering that the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. It was only during the sacrifice that this orchestra could be heard. This was all intended as part of the instructional aspect of the Old Covenant. The worship under the ceremonial system was a sensual one. It appealed to the senses as a means of conveying truth. There was incense and candles and sacrifice and blood and screams of the animals and and shouting and singing and the sound of joyful music. All of this was to show the magnitude of what was happening. The Old Testament ceremonial worship was only a representation of the real redemption which was to be accomplished not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Christ. The musical instruments added to this as a way of eliciting a response within the people who were gathered together during the time of corporate worship. G.I. Williamson says, God under the Old Testament administration of the covenant of grace was pleased to use such weak and beggarly elements to help his Old Testament people as children under age, Galatians 4, to help them feel something more in these animal sacrifices than was actually there. And so as the sacrifice was offered, the hearts of God's people were stirred by this great cacophony of music. All of this drama, all of this heightened response created by the sensual aspects of Old Covenant worship was stripped away when the people of God were brought into exile. It was stripped away even before that when they were worshiping in the synagogues even in Israel. In the synagogue, they prayed. 
They read Scripture. They sat under the preaching of the Word and they sang the Psalms without being accompanied by musical instruments. This fact is undeniable. In fact, it wasn't until 1810 that German Jews began to incorporate instruments into synagogue worship. Their reasoning was that since the sacrifices were unable to be continued without the temple, their heartfelt devotion to the Lord should be considered the sacrifice and should be accompanied by musical instruments. While this is an incredibly twisted uh, rationale, it's interesting to note that their reasoning actually admits that the instruments were only to be used during the sacrifices. In fact, the Orthodox Jews, those who are particularly conservative, they never adopted this practice. And to this very day, they do not have instruments in their worship. You cannot have instruments without the sacrifice and still be obedient to the commands of God. To do so would be to add to what He has commanded and to offer strange fire unto Him. And so this is the framework through which we must understand musical instruments and their place in the worship of the New Testament church. We have no sacrificial system because Christ offered Himself as the once-for-all sacrifice on behalf of His people. At His death, the veil which separated the people from the Holy of Holies in the temple, that place where God was seated between the cherubim on the mercy seat, it was torn in two, signifying that the old ways of coming to the Lord in worship have been done away with. Through Christ's atoning sacrifice, all of those things pertaining to the sacrificial system of old have been fulfilled and they are no more. That's why in Hebrews 10.9, the Apostle Paul writes, He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Calvin comments, the Levites under the law were justified in making use of instrumental music in the worship of God, it having been his will to train his people while they were as yet tender and like children by such rudiments until the coming of Christ. But now, when the clear light of the gospel has dissipated the shadows of the law and taught us that God is to be served in a simpler form, it would be to act a foolish and mistaken part to imitate that which the prophet enjoined only upon those of his own time. It's foolish to incorporate into our worship what was only for the time of those of the old covenant people of God to return to those uh, rudiments to the elementary t- things 
to return to the types and the shadows and uh, is to is to lose the substance. It's to lose the reality. Friends, if you believe in Christ's once for all sacrifice, then why would you ever want to go back to the ways of old? I may hurt some people's feelings here, but the incorporating of musical instruments into the worship of God under the new covenant is nothing but Judaizing and a practical denial of Christ's finished work. Either it is finished or he was a failure. Either he has taken away the first that he may establish the second, or he was a fraud and we still need the sacrificial system. The old has been stripped away and the new has come. That is why the New Testament church is is not patterned after the temple, but after the synagogue. Just as the elements pertaining to the temple have been stripped away from the people of God when they were in exile, so too have they been stripped away from the church and the greater, simpler, spiritual form of worship that was evident in the synagogue continues today in the church. In all the references to worship in the New Testament, it would seem plain that the ordinary, non-ceremonial pattern of the synagogue is what was continued. And it became the established pattern of worship for the Christian church. All that was required to transform the synagogue from the ordinary weekly place of Jewish worship on the old Sabbath to the ordinary weekly place of Christian worship on the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath, was simply a recognition that the Messiah has come in the preaching of Him. This would require simply adding the New Testament books as they uh, were written and also admitting into the worship the New Covenant sacraments. The rest remains the same. The Psalms with no instrumental accompaniment, prayers, readings, and proclamation. Sounds very much like our own worship service. Since the instruments were divinely were a divinely commanded element of worship as part of the sacrificial system, and that system has been done away with, the only way instruments can be brought into the new covenant worship is if there is a new divine warrant. but there is no new divine warrant in all of New Testament Scripture. Look at every passage in the New Testament concerning the worship of God and you will very quickly see that nowhere 
is the use of musical instruments instituted. In fact, the opposite is true. Recall our passage from two weeks ago in Ephesians 5, 5, 18 and 19. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The word that is here translated making melody is the Greek word solo, which means to pluck an instrument. That is the instrument that is commanded by God to be used in the worship of the church. You to pluck the instrument of your heart. You pluck the strings of your heart. It is the spiritual instrument emphasizing the joy that is expressed in your praise to Jehovah. And then Hebrews 13.15 drives the point home even further. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. That is the praise that is connected to the sacrifice of the new covenant. Not instruments, but the fruit of our lips. This is what is commanded of us. If you are to be faithful to Christ, if you are to offer worship that is acceptable unto Him, if you are to offer praise that is pure and undefiled, it must be only the fruit of your lips. And by making melody in your hearts. Calvin puts it very bluntly. Those who import, musical in, uh, those who import instrumental music into the ordained worship of the New Testament church transcend the warrant of Scripture and add to the words which Christ our Lord has commanded. Now, I think it's necessary here to address some objections that arise against this doctrine and practice. I've heard numerous times, even this last week, uh, I've heard the argument that it's hypocritical to sing psalms like Psalm 150 that clearly command using instruments while not using them ourselves. This was the argument that uh, Gordon Clark made against the Covenanters. That it was hypocritical. Friends, this is an elementary objection. And I'm really surprised that someone like Gordon Clark would make one like this. The Psalter uses the language of the ceremonial system all throughout it. And it ought to be understood that way. No one has a problem with singing Psalm 118.27, God is the Lord which hath showed us light 
bind the sacrifice with cords even to the horns of the altar. Everyone understands that this finds its fulfillment in the sacrifice of Christ. Everyone understands the spiritual reality of incense in Psalm 141, that it is prayers. The accusation of hypocrisy is never thrown at us for not using incense in worship. In fact, if Psalm 150 is to be used as an argument against a cappella worship, then those making that claim must also admit that the trumpet and psaltery and harp and timbrel and stringed instruments and organs and cymbals, they all must be used and only those instruments must be used. And they would also be required to incorporate dancing into the worship of God. Psalm 150 says, praise Him with timbrel and dancing. And yet no one is making the argument, uh, no one making this argument would go that far. Because they know that the argument is truly flawed. You must understand the Psalms in their proper context. In their proper place in redemptive history. We sing of instruments in the Psalms in the exact same way we sing of sacrifices in the Psalms as those things being fulfilled in Christ. But what about the instances in the New Testament that speak of instruments in worship? Many people will say the New Testament talks about instruments in worship. Well, these instances can only be found in the book of Revelation. How flawed an attempt it is to try and use the worship of the heavenly hosts in Revelation as a justification for using instruments in new covenant worship. This prophetic vision is filled, filled with imagery of the ceremonial system and is to be understood as symbolic representations of the realities that are found in Christ. Here we read of the ark in chapter 11, verse 9. The lamb in chapter 5, verse 6. Trumpets in chapter 4, 1, 8, 2, and others. The temple in eleven nineteen, Harps in 5, 9. Incense. In 8.4. And the list can go on. What did the ark represent? The presence of God in the midst of His people. In Hebrews 2.12, the apostle writes of Christ saying, I will declare my name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto thee. What of the lamb? It was the sacrificial animal of the old covenant, and now Christ is the perfect lamb of God slain for the sins of his people. The temple was the meeting place of the old covenant people of God. 
which has now been done away with. In John chapter 4, Christ says to the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. It is not on that mountain or the mountain in Jerusalem that we worship. The incense is called the prayers of the saints. The trumpet is not a literal trumpet in Revelation, but the sound of a voice that is compared with the sound of a trumpet. The music that John heard was not the sound of harps. It was the sound of human voices that are likened unto harpers harping with their harps. The very employment of these ceremonial symbols, taken as they are from the abrogated system, further confirms the fact that they are not to have any part in the new covenant worship. They were merely symbols. And it's obvious that they were symbols in the book of Revelation. Brothers and sisters, the Scripture is clear on this. There is no justification for bringing into the worship of God musical instruments. If we truly hold to that regulative principle that anything which is not commanded by God to be done in worship is forbidden, then we must not seek to bring these man-made devices into the sacred assembly. To do so is to go back to those things which have been done away with. Find your complete joy and satisfaction in doing the will of the Lord and obeying His commands. It does not matter if this is what you want. What matters is what God wants. Sing unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise. Offer your sacrifice of praise unto Him, which is the fruit of your lips, and pluck the very strings of your heart. Because this is the only acceptable accompaniment for the new covenant church. Let us pray. Father, we come to You and we thank You that because of the work of Christ, all things have been fulfilled in Him pertaining to that old covenant ceremonial system. Father, preserve us from putting ourselves back under the yoke of bondage to that old system. Preserve us from defiling the worship which is due your name by incorporating musical instruments into our praise.
Father, we thank You that the words of Christ are it is finished. Let us rest in that. Bless the remainder of our time here and worship this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.